Praise God. I actually think my sermon, although I didn't plan it this way, is going to fit into this pretty good, and so I'm pretty excited about that. My sermon is entitled uh, Renewable Energy, of course, and Renewable Energy, I'm going to take you back to grade five science for a few minutes if you're all right with that. Renewable energy is derived from natural processes that are replenished at a rate that is equal to or faster than the rate at which they are consumed. Isn't that, if you go back to grade five for a minute and you have these questions on these science exams, isn't that like an answer that you would expect to write down on one of those? I don't know, that's what I thought about when I was uh, preparing this, the way my simple brain works, I guess. (laughs) Basically, you need as much coming in as going out. The energy needs to be renewable or it needs to be improved. Uh, There are various forms of renewable energy in Canada. Uh, Solar, wind, geothermal, hydropower, and ocean resources, solid biomass, biogas, and liquid biofuels. I'm not going to explain all those to you, and you're thankful I'm not. (laughs) Canada, with its large landmass and diversified geography, has substantial renewable resources that can be used to produce energy. Canada, if you didn't know, is one of the world leaders in using renewable energy. Uh, they have sources currently providing uh, renewable energy sources currently providing 18.9% of Canada's total primary energy supply. We have moving water, which is the most important renewable energy source in Canada, providing 59.3% of Canada's electricity generation. In fact, Canada is the second largest producer of hydroelectricity in the world. Pretty cool, right? Wind is the second most important renewable energy source in Canada, and it accounts for 3.5% of electricity generation in Canada. We were down at Bethel Park last week, and we decided to go for a drive down to Aereo, and uh, beautiful down there. Uh, If you ever go down there, I think you can see about 2% of the windmills that's creating that wind energy just on that trip. uh, That road will take you actually as close to a a wind-powered turbine as you probably um, will in Ontario. From my, get, from my experience, that is. There's biomass, which is the third, lar- third largest renewable source in Canada, uh, Canada's electricity generation, and it shares in Canada's electri- electricity generation by 1.4%. Wind, solar, photovoltaic energy, all these different things are the fastest growing source of electricity in Canada. And Canada is doing quite well uh, with renewable energy, and it's, it was kind of fun even just reading these stats. I know you're probably thinking, why in the world did he read all that? But when it comes to taking care of ourselves and keeping ourselves in tune with God and keeping our energy renewed, how are we doing? Uh, we can be very neg- neglectful in this area on times, and uh, sometimes it's, it's willful and sometimes it's not. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me it's hard to shut my brain down. And I'm really weird. I can drink as much coffee as I want, and I can go to bed and sleep like a baby. But if I eat a chocolate bar after 8 o'clock, I'll be up till 4. I don't, I don't know how that works. Uh, but we have all kinds of ways to give us energy, right? Coffee being one. Any coffee drinkers? And the rest of you are liars? No? There's like four of you that drink coffee? Well, I drink enough for half of you anyway, so... And then we have endorphins, these natural things, you know, and you get endorphins when you exercise. And I'm not going to lie, the best form of waking you up and getting you going that I've experienced is exercise, which makes me wonder why I don't do it more. Um, then there's naps. Who loves naps? A little more reaction here? No? 
like naps, they renew energy. You know that 20-minute power nap. We love that. Then there's energy drinks like Red Bull. These things scare me. Like, I'm going to tell you right now, I have never, never drank an energy drink in my life. I told you that a chocolate bar after 8 o'clock will keep me awake. I cannot imagine what an energy... I would be awake until they get back from the mission strip if I drank an energy drink. And then there's other supplements and different things. But we all get caught on times trying to do too many things under our own strength at a breakneck pace. And this includes kingdom tasks. This includes doing things for Jesus. And we don't stop and we don't breathe him in and we don't take the time to get ourselves in a place where we can renew our energy. We try so many ways naturally to renew our energy. But in reality, when God asks us to take on a task that requires supernatural power or energy, how can we expect the task to be accomplished apart from that power or energy? And if you say that God has asked you to do something and, it's, and you can do it on your own steam, it probably wasn't God. Because <laughs> God asks us, he has big asks, but when he asks us for big things, in my experience, he fills in the spaces that we cannot. One of the most difficult things to do is to re-energize for a second time. But what about the third time? What about the fourth time? When there's distractions, when there's discouragements, what about the fifth time? Are, are, are you so confident when God speaks to you that you're willing to take these times and do it over and over and over again until you know, we see the results that we're looking for? Galatians 6.9 says, So let not, let's not get tired in doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Sometimes we have setbacks, we get slowed down, and we can view these moments as failures on times, but in reality, God is asking us to persist, continue, trust what God has spoken to us, and he's asking us to push through. Failure and setbacks has probably been one of the greatest leader, uh, learning experiences of my life, and we can all say that very easy in hindsight, right? I mean, the first time you hit your thumb with a hammer when you're trying to nail, you all of a sudden become much more accurate the next time, right? Or if you don't, your thumb probably looks like cottage cheese or something, and I feel bad for you. It's hard to be committed to end, especially uh, committed to the end, especially when our own perceived timelines get blown out of the water. Uh, when I look into the book of Ezra, we are told about how God enabled the people of Judah to rebuild the temple after returning from Babylon. And they were exiled to Babylon in, in 586 and were allowed to return. Uh, but it was actually the Persian king Cyrus who gave the permission uh, to the governor Zerubbabel, there's a mouthful for you, and the priest Joshua to go and carry out the task as the Babylonians had been overthrown by the Persians in around five. 139 B.C., if you like the dates and the history, which I really do. There's, these leaders were, so, were, were no strangers to discouragement. God had asked them to go back and to rebuild the temple, to rebuild his house, and uh, it, it ended up being a pretty discouraging time for them in the beginning. Ezra 4, verse 4, it says this, it says, Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. Can you imagine somebody bribed somebody to come and frustrate your work? This went on during the entire reign of Cyrus of Persia 
and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Some 15 years. Pretty wild. The plans to rebuild the temple were stifled and caused great discouragement and led uh, to what we read in Zechariah chapter 4, and that's what I want to spend some time on this morning. This is one of several visions of Zechariah had received, and in fact it says that the angel woke him up from another vision in verse 1, as it were, from a, and to tell him this vision. And, and I, don't, I don't know what that would be like. Man, that you'd be in one vision, kind of a trance in one vision, and then all of a sudden you wake up and then God gives you another vision? That would be a pretty cool day, I would think. But let's pick it up in Zechariah chapter 4. I just want to read the first 14 verses. It says, Then the angel who talked with me returned and woke me up like someone awakened from sleep. He asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl on the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil. He replied, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, These are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, there's so much in here today, Lord. And I just pray that you would give me clarity of thought and speech as I trust the power of your Holy Spirit and the anointing you place on my life to present this word, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would be the primary communicator in this room and I would be a willing vessel, Lord Jesus. So, Father, open our hearts, prepare our hearts to receive and to seal this word into our hearts and allow it to change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what did the angel actually wake Zechariah to show him? It was essentially showing him the objects, objects of worship, but it was in, that you would see in a temple, but... Not as he would have been used to seeing them. First we have the golden lampstand. And the golden lampstand is kind of like what you would understand as a menorah. It has seven, seven candles, holders, that would have um, usually been maintained by the priests who would trim the wicks and fill the lamps with oil. Now, I thought about getting a picture of this, but every picture I saw uh, looked like it was drawn in the 1920s. So I didn't want to use it. But... I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. So imagine a seven 
prong lampstand right here. Okay, so it's right here. Can you see it? If you can, I'm a little worried, but I appreciate your imagination. Then above the lampstand, there was a bowl. So there's a lampstand here. Now imagine a big bowl on the top that's filled with oil. And it was effectively a reservoir of oil with seven conduits to transport the oil from the bowl to the lamps. So seven conduits coming down from the bowl to the seven candles. Uh, some translation would say 49, that there's seven going to all seven, which that would be a terrible picture to try to draw. But at any rate, the whole point is that there was more than enough oil. There was ample oil. There was a great supply of oil that was coming from this bowl that was above the lampstand. And then we have two olive trees from each, uh, and from each of the olive trees, there was a golden conduit from the olive tree branches that were on the side of the bowl with a perpetual supply of golden oil. So you have these two olive trees on either side. You have a big bowl above with seven lines coming down from the bowl to the seven candle tops right here, keeping the light going. And it's important to understand the symbolism here, because the symbolism, I'm going to tell you right now, when you read this, if you can't hear the gospel in the symbolism, then, then I just want you to hear it this morning. Hear the good news in the symbolism. The golden lampstand represents God's people, the light to Israel. It represents the light to Israel. So it is important for the oil to be brought to the lampstand because it fed the light to Israel. The oil obviously represents the Spirit of God empowering Israel, empowering Zerubbabel, empowering Joshua to be the light of the world. The bowl represents the endless supply of God's power and provides a picture for us that helps us understand that we do not conjure up God's power. He willingly sends it down. Amen? That should have been an amen. We don't conjure up the power of God. you got to understand that. When we ask God to come here, we're not saying, God, you know, we're not trying to encourage Him to come. He's here. God willingly sends His power down. I like the idea of the tree coming down to the bowl, coming down to the lampstand, because He sends the power down. He sends the oil down. The two branches of the olive trees represent... The kingly and priestly leadership, likely referring to Zerubbabel as the governor and Joshua as the priest. They were God's appointed leadership, given the task of completing the rebuild of the temple in Israel after they returned from exile. This vision must have been, I mean, pretty amazing to behold. Uh, but the angel makes it clear to Zechariah that it had a purpose. And a strong message that was meant for Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the 50,000 or so that had returned from exile. When Zechariah asked the angel what the vision meant, the angel didn't get into all the symbolism right away. It is explained in the passage. But he says in verse 6, he says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, I see that you are tired. I see that you're discouraged. I am here to remind you that the temple will not be rebuilt through military power or prowess. 50,000 people is a lot of people. Could have caused quite a stink, you know, back in Israel. Could have tried to overtake the Persian people. They could have tried to do it through their military power and prowess. 
It will not be rebuilt through manpower. You know, 50,000 people. You think you'd be able to build a building with 50,000 people. It is only God's Spirit who can accomplish this task. And keep in mind that this was approximately 15 years after the discouragement I read about in Ezra, when they came in and they discouraged them and they spoke poorly to them and, and, and really stifled the work of the rebuilding of the temple to the point where Zerubbabel was only able to uh, lay the foundations, lay the market where the foundation was meant to be. That's all that was done when they first came back. We sometimes need to be reminded that God provides the strength, the means, the opportunities, the provision to complete what He has called us to do. And how relevant is that to a short-term missions trip? You're called to a big task, but you've got to realize that, you know, we can put in all the work, we can do all the administration, we can raise all the money, but to go over there and ask for, and, and to expect to influence for the kingdom without the Holy Spirit, without God involved, is a futile task. You may even very well do some good things, but you're probably not going to do God things unless God's involved. Unless you realize that He sends the power down. But if you go over and try to conjure something up and try to manufacture something without the power of God, it's just going to be that. It's just going to be something. We need to be reminded who provides. God will not call us to a task that He will not empower us to complete. Amen? I don't know who here needs to hear that today, but I need to hear that on a regular basis. Because sometimes God speaks of pretty big things to me. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. There's been times where I've been praying, and I, I like to pray, and I write in my journal, and I'll sit back in my chair, and I was just like, whew, are you serious? And we've undertaken some things that we've needed God and couldn't have accomplished without God. Even if we get discouraged and it takes longer than we thought it would, we need to press into what God wants and understand that He will provide the power. Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the priest, needed to be encouraged as we do on times. So let's see what encouragement and lessons we can receive from this vision today. And the first lesson we can learn is this, that God work, God's work is not always or usually easy. And some people out there, I've, I've heard people say, I've heard Christian ministers say, that you're in all this problem, you're in all this strife because you don't trust God. I live my life to trust God, and I've had some troubles. Is it just me? I, in fact, when I press into what God wants me to do, I find that more troubles sometimes come. But I've learned to look at that, that to say that if I'm doing anything of value, then the enemy also sees it as something of value in the kingdom of God. And so if you're sitting back and you're comfortable and you're saying, well, I don't have many spiritual battles, then I want to ask you, how many are you waging? What are you believing God for today? The angel says in verse 7, What are you, mighty mountain? Talking about the obstacles. He says, Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground, and he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. He is not saying that the governor is going to become super powerful and plow down mountains. Wouldn't that be something to see? You know, if you could just go up and go, knock a mountain down, man, we'd be... We would not know what to do with that kind of power. 
He means that God, through the endless supply of His Spirit, will remove the obstacles that have plagued Him and them for almost 15 years. Can you imagine laying the foundations for this building, marking out the foundations for this building 15 years ago, running into so many obstacles and leaving this place vacant and never finishing the building for 15 years? Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? 15 years in their efforts to complete and rebuild the temple. But he doesn't say there won't be obstacles. Nowhere in this passage did he say there won't be obstacles. Author and theologian Stephen Rummage describes how obstacles began to compound. He says more than a decade and a half before Zerubbabel had laid the foundation, he had marked out all the footings. This is what we read in that time when Ezra came back. Marked out all the footings to show where the temple was going to be. He and his workers, along with the rest of the returning Jews, must have been brimming with excitement to know that they were going to rebuild the house of God. Then because of opposition and challenge, the work stopped for days, then weeks, and eventually years, nothing happened. They were discouraged. This was not easy. It was not a task. And mind you, it wouldn't be easy using all the the technology that we have today. But it was an even greater task for them. There were people who scoffed at their work from the beginning, trying to make them believe that it was useless 15 years ago, and they tried to make them believe that it's useless now. Can you imagine feeling all that opposition 15 years ago, and then all of a sudden feeling ramped up, get this vision, you want to do it again, and the same people come back and say, it's still useless, what are you doing? How are you going to respond? Rummage also recalls this humorous story written by Jack Handy, and when I read this, it just hit me so hard. I had to to steal this guy's illustration to share with you today. But Jack Handy wrote in his book, Fuzzy Memories, it says, there used to be this bully who would demand my lunch money every day, and since I was smaller, I would give it to him. Makes sense, I guess, unless you're me. I didn't know how to back down from anybody. Maybe got myself in trouble when I was a kid a little bit. Then I decided to fight back. He said, I'm not going to take this anymore. I started taking karate lessons. That's usually what we do, right? Maybe if I can just Bruce lead a guy. But then the karate lesson guy said I had to start paying him $5 a lesson. So I just went back to paying the bully. I guess the bully was cheaper. I don't know how that worked. At some point, we have to stop paying the bully. At some point, we've got to stop paying the bully. And imagine the message given to Zerubbabel by Zechariah would have been just the encouragement and the reminder he needed to stop paying attention to the bullies and to remember who called him to the task. In verse, the words of verse 10 spoken by the angel to Zechariah would have instilled the confidence necessary. He says, who dares? Who dares? How dare you speak up against God? Who dares despise the day of simple things, of small things, of simple beginnings? If we handle the little things, I heard Mark Batterson read this in his book, Win the Day, one time. He says that if we handle the little things like they're big things, then God will handle the big things like they're little things. Amen? Isn't that cool? I read that, and now that's an axiom I use in my everyday life. That if I will handle the little things like they're big things, God will handle the big things like they're little things. God will move the mountains. God will be uh, 
the one who gets rid of the obstacles. The words of verse 10 again, spoken of the angel, uh, spoken by the angels of Zechariah, would have instilled the confidence necessary. Who dares despise the day of small things? In other words, show me this bully. Where is he? Who dares speak against my God? Who dares speak against the God who called you to do this? Show me the bully. Show him to me. How effective in our life can we do this? You know, if we, if we keep paying the bully. If every time we're discouraged after God speaks something because it feels too big, of course God asks us to do something big. But if we get discouraged every time and we turn away, then we're just paying the bully. We're doing exactly what he wants us to do. The reason he's opposing what we want to do is because it's advancing the kingdom of God. And in order for us to have the kingdom of God advance, we need the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to come from the bowl into the lampstand where we are, the light of the world. We need to understand that he trims the wicks. He keeps the reservoir full. And it is our responsibility to keep going back to the bowl. Actually, to keep the flow from the bowl steady is a better way to put it. We also need to understand the trust, the importance of the small things. We really need to trust the importance of the small things. Who dares despise the day of small things? And like I said, if we handle the little things like the big things, then God will handle the big things like the little things. Do you know that the first electric light was so dim that a candle was needed to see its socket? Can you imagine? Hey, I got this new source of light. Can you bring the old source of light so I can see the new source of light before I turn it on? Does that make any sense to you? You got to start somewhere, right? One of the first steamboats took 32 hours to chug its way from New York to Albany, a distance of 150 miles, or here in Canada, we would say 225 kilometers approximately. Wilbur and Orville Wright's first airplane flight lasted only 12 seconds. And I, that stuck out to me this morning when I was going over, because my dad, who's visiting us, mom and dad, and dad showed me a, a picture yesterday of all the planes that are over North America, and they were little yellow planes, and you couldn't see North America. It was just yellow planes, and it looked like somebody had colored all of North America in with yellow. But it was these little yellow planes, so I think we've come a long way from the 12-second flight of Wilbur and Orville Wright in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. I remember that because I did a report on them in grade three, I think. Small fact for you there. And the first automobiles traveled two to four miles per hour. Can you imagine? You think you would get a horn blowing at you if you were driving down steels at two to four miles an hour? And they broke that all the time. Actually, carriages would pass by the passengers in the cars and shout out, Get a horse! Can you imagine? You know, first you got a, the new light socket that you had to get the old light source, the candle, to come so you could see the actual, what you're doing with the new light source. That's supposed to be better. And then you had this new car that's supposed to improve everything that goes two to four miles an hour, and people are clop, 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 clop by a horse. That was a terrible horse sound, forgive me. But, you know, the horse goes trotting by the car and yells out, get a horse. It's kind of funny. Interesting, we've, we've come a long way. You know, Andy Green in his ter twin turbofan jet-powered car back in, all the way back in 1995, he beat the land speed record by going 1,227 kilometers an hour. 
Can you imagine? Mach 1.06. We've come a long way in our humble beginnings, from our humble beginnings. We need to trust that God will remove the mountains if we respond to his call. But we have to be willing to start the climb. Can you imagine if that first person who looked in the light socket and wasn't getting as much light gave up? (laughs) Can you imagine if the person who worked on the car, actually we might have a peaceful life if we didn't have cars, but we would be taking forever to get anywhere. You know, can you imagine if these people just kind of gave up? We may not get the immediate results we expect, but neither did Zerubbabel and Joshua. Trust the small beginnings. I mean, I read, I reread the history of this church again this week. There were some small beginnings, wasn't there? I looked through, and I was moved by the Spirit as I read the different names of the pastors that were here and how it grow, grew and how this piece of property was built, was, was purchased, and the church was built, and it was moved here. And you guys, I believe, were, were attending church at Peoples and other places before this. Trust the days of small beginnings. We got to sit around the fire when we were at Bethel Park last week and listen to the elder gentleman tell me, I was here when the trees were this tall. Man, those trees are not that tall anymore. Like, one of the most impressive things when you go to Bethel is these massive trees. I'm like, you were here when the tree was this small? Oof. Trust the day is a small beginning. I, th- I believe it was Gerhard who even told us that there was natural gas that used to come up in the water line. <laughs> That said you would see blue flame or something. Trust the day in small beginnings, right? Look at where we are now. Look at all the people that, that have been reached to Bethel Camp. Look at all the people that Ward and Full Gospel Assembly has reached. We need to trust that God will remove the mountains. But we got to start the climb. Trust the small beginnings. But if God's spoken into our hearts, He will remove the obstacles by His might, His power. This passage also teaches us that God sees the finish line. The rest of verse 10 reads like this. It says, Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. I think a big passage like this because I think if somebody picked up the Bible for the first time they read this passage and they were like, Seven eyes of the Lord? Well, he must look all kind of crazy. But there's a lot of symbolism symbolism in the Bible that we need to understand. And so there's a couple key mentions here that I'd like to talk about for a second. One is the seven eyes of the Lord, which literally just meant, it was symbolism to mean that the seven eyes of the Lord, it's also referenced in in chapter 3, verse 9 in Zechariah as well, but it refers to the omniscience of God, the all-knowingness of God, the omnipresence of God, that He's everywhere, He sees everything, He's involved in everything. He is not taking His attention away from His people. Even though during the 15 years of discouragement, they may have taken their attention away, God did not take his attention away. And then we have the reference to the capstone in this passage. is also referenced in, in uh, verse 7 as well. The capstone or the finishing stone would mark the completion of the temple of God's dwelling place, reestablished among his people. And so that they would all say, God bless it, God bless it. Can you imagine Zerubbabel receiving this message? That God sees everything, that he's never gone anywhere, he knows everything. And that, you know, as Zerubbabel, you're going to place the capstone. You're going to place the finishing stone. We're going to get this done. God is saying, don't worry about opposition. Don't worry about mountains. 
People who try to discourage you. Don't worry about the bullies. I'll take care of the bullies. Show me this bully. He says, I have plans. God has plans to see you place the final capstone. The finishing capstone of His house. Of God's house. But God, it's been 15 years. Have you ever caught yourself saying something like this? Ever said something like, but God, it's been this long since you did this. We feel like, like something that God has spoken to us has, a, has an expiry date. God's word is not the strawberries that you forgot in the back of your fridge that are now green and fuzzy. Right? Have you ever been caught like that saying, but it's been this long, God, since you said this? I received, I woke up one morning when I was on my internship and uh, I had this dream and I dreamed of a church. Everything was gold. I don't know what was going on in the dream per se, like why everything was gold, but I, saw, I looked at it at the church and all of a sudden, everything went dark, but the church stayed bright. And it kept getting brighter, and it kept getting brighter, and it kept getting brighter. And it, as it got brighter, you know, you, you were like this, you know, like kind of driving in this morning, when you're driving at 6.30 and 7.30 in the morning, coming out of steel's going this way. The sun is in your eyes. you got to put the visor down. And I was kind of readjusting my eyes. And it, I felt like in, when I woke up, God was just saying, this is, this is what it's like the first time people hear the word. It just, it just seems like blurry brightness. It's just this big blur. But the more they look, the more they're drawn to the light, their eyes begin to adjust. And they begin to see the true church. They begin to see the God-empowered, Holy Spirit-empowered church. And it begins to become clear. But we've we got to get to the point where they've got to keep persisting and looking at the light. I still don't know specifically if that dream I had back in my internship 20 plus years ago was for a specific time, but it's changed how, the way I do things. Who dares despise the day of simple things? God spoke it. He will provide. He will overcome the obstacles. He'll see the calling through. He sees the finish line. He knows how this is going to end. We need to trust his knowledge. The most important thing, <coughs> excuse me, the most important thing we need to hear and understand today is this. Took a drink of water. Perfect time there to add some suspense. You notice that? Did it work? Now, if you read this passage, you already know what I'm going to say right now. It is the Holy Spirit's endless power. All this was accomplished through the Spirit's endless power. Forget renewable. When God gives, He gives in abundance. When He gives provision, He gives in abundance. And I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm talking about the provision to do the kingdom work. I'm talking about provision to do what He has called you to do. You know, forget renewable. He has an endless supply of power and motivation. He has an endless supply. Verse 12 and 14 says this again. Again, I ask him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out gold and oil? There's a reference here that talks about the, the olive trees and then it references these two branches as well. He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed 
serve the Lord of all the earth. People have messed up this word anointed. Can I just say that out loud? People, I, I, the very first time I ever spoke in a youth group, I had a young man sit down with me, a little few years older than me, and I, and he, I guess he wanted to impart some wisdom. And he looked at me and he said, because obviously I stumbled over everything I said, and hopefully I'm a little better now than I was then, 20 plus years ago. And he said, don't worry, you'll get the anointing. I'm like, say what? Come again? Mind you, I'm 18 or 19, 19 or 20, somewhere in that range. And he, and he looked at me, and he, he kind of looked scared because he, he thought I was mad. I wasn't mad. I told him, I said, I would not get in this pulpit if I did not feel the anointing of God on my life to do it. We equate anointing to emotion. I've heard a lot of emotional things that there were emotions that came from somewhere, but don't be wrong, I get emotional. You'll get to know that I blubber and cry a lot. I'm probably going to have to get like five boxes of Kleenex up here to get through some sermon. And don't be wrong, I do believe there's a special anointing. There's times that come, you know, when God comes and He can give you a word of knowledge and He can give you, you know, help you speak into somebody's life in those moments. Those are amazing moments. There's these special times where you feel the anointing in a stronger way, but I would not stand in this pulpit if I did not feel the anointing of God on my life to do it. We messed this word up, and that's a whole other sermon. I'm going to stop right there, but he says, these are the two who are anointed. Old Testament had a different understanding of that, in a way. More of a physical act, anointing with oil, you know, setting aside. They were anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. It was God's power that called them to the task. It was God's power that overcame the obstacles. It was God's power that reminded them that their small beginnings and faith of their small beginnings and, and his faithfulness. And it was God's power that enabled the capstone, the finishing stone, to be put in place on the temple. What is there in our lives this morning? And we all need to ask this personally. What is there in our lives that God has called us to? And if he hasn't called you to do something, then get ready. I think he's got something for you even right now. What are the things in our life that God has called us to that we have allowed ourselves to put in the back seat to forget about that we need to pick back up so God can see it completed? And you know what I mean by the back seat. I don't know about you, but I mean, when things go over the back seat in my car, especially in the little black car that we have that nobody really sits in the back seats ever, and the kids just put more stuff back there. I mean, you know what it's like. I, I joke around sometimes and I say that, you know, behind the front seat of the car is a place that I call never to be seen again If you want to get to Narnia, you go through a wardrobe. You want to get to never be, to be seen again you go over the back seat of your car. And if you do ever go back there and explore, you may find stuff like a bank card. Oh, that's where that went. You know, your passport. You know, the pen or the thing that you lost a sock that was supposed to be in the dryer that's not there anymore, I, I think maybe socks go underneath the seat in the back somewhere. Maybe that's where they all go. Although that little rubber flange around the front-loading washer-dryer kind of eats them up too, doesn't it? I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how many I took out of there last week. <laughs> but things get in the back seat. You know, you look, you find your long-lost sunglasses, you found a key that you couldn't find, a bank card. Your youngest child? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, 
What's God laid on our hearts, either recently or maybe even years ago, that he is saying, you tried this once, but you tried to do it by yourself. You tried to do it by yourself. And you forgot it was my plan. Go pick it up again, and this time trust the endless supply of the one who has anointed you to see it through. Just want to conclude with a few questions this morning to get our, our mind thinking, and hopefully you'll take these questions with you in, into the week. One is, are you still paying the bully? It's amazing how discouragement can be the loudest voice in our head. I'm going to tell you as a pastor that sometimes, you know, you can be fully aware that the vast majority of the people in the church are with you and they're behind you and they're walking with you. But one person who comes and discourages you can, if you allow it, can become the bully. And it's amazing how that discouragement can feel so much bigger in your mind and in your heart and in your head. And it will until you address the bully and say, get out of the way. I am here because God has called me here. This is just my personal understanding. This is my personal experience. But are you still paying the bully? I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that looks like for you. But maybe this morning it's something that you need to hear. Next question is, do we look at the mountains, the obstacles, and say, I'm not getting over that, and give up? How are we with approaching the mountains? Are you willing, though, even though you can't see the top of the mountain and it's up in the clouds and it looks crazy, are you willing, though, even because God has spoken to you, because God has spoken to you, are you willing to be able to start the climb? I think I said this in, in one of my first sermons, but, but in my experience, God only opens down one door at a time. And when you obey and you walk through that door, he'll open the next one. And I believe that, you know, if God says, come on, stand and get this mountain, there's a big giant down in the valley, right? Remember that young boy, 13 or 14 or 12 years old, and he comes up? He understood this. David understood not to pay the bully anymore. He said, who is this guy that comes against the Lord our God? He didn't come against Israel. They didn't come against, he came against God because they were God's people. And this little boy who didn't fit in the armor because it was made for a six foot two strapping man, Saul, was a big dude. But because God spoke to him, he took the first step down into the valley. God showed him five smooth stones. And we know the rest, don't we? He stepped to the mountain. Wasn't his first time. You read back, he killed bears, he killed lions. Hard to believe. It's amazing what God can move out of your way when you trust Him. And thirdly, and most importantly, are you attached to the supply? Who is trimming your wick and filling your reservoir? If we're the light, if the representation of the lampstand that's in the middle below the bowl, where all of the source of all of God's power comes from, if we're not attached and we say, I want to be my own candle over here, where, where's the source coming from? I cannot tell you how important it is to speak to God, 
I, I have felt God speak to stuff in my heart. And I've gone to bed excited and wake up in the morning scared. And I even feel things say, like, God never asked you to do that. That's crazy. Why would God ask you to do that? That's crazy. There was even a part of me that felt that way. I remember the day, and, and I know I've talked a little bit about this before, but the day I decided and I spoke to, to Carrie Ann and, and, and I said, I, I'm going to have to reach out to Jason Luscombe because I feel like i got to put my name in here. If I didn't do it right there at that moment, I don't know if I would have done it the next morning. Because I woke up the next morning and the first thing I thought was, oh, really, Pete? Are you going to do that? You got a pretty good gig over here. But then I went back to the well. I went back to the reservoir. And I spoke to God again. I said, God, forgive me, but can you remind me of why I sent that email last night? And he did. He did. I got to tell you this morning, renewable is good. You know, renewable resources... <laughs> are great and I'm proud of Canada for how good we are at renewable resources but an endless supply is better an endless supply is better renewable is good it's sustainable but it won't get you past where you've been so think about it you may even be like just getting up every morning and doing your same thing and all of a sudden it's become routine and you haven't realized because you've been doing it the same way well how are you stretching yourself how are you putting yourself, how are you asking God for more? Have you, have you just found a comfortable place? Because comfort will slow it down for 15 years too. Just as quick as discouragement will. Comfort may be the even bigger, even bigger thing to get over. But are you attached to the supply? Who is trimming the wick and filling the reservoir? We need to rely on the endless supply of divine power that God has made available to the faithful, to those who do not despise the day of small beginnings. Zerubbabel and Joshua, the governor and the priest, after the vision from Zechariah, were able to complete the temple of the Lord. And they were inspired, and the word of the Lord came at just the right time and reminded them of what they began I said, it's time to get back to it. And if God is speaking to you this morning, and maybe it's something as simple as, maybe you volunteered at something in the church years ago, and you're like, maybe I need to get back to it again. There's a lie, I believe, that says that, you know, once you get to a certain age, if you, st if you don't stop, then the younger ones won't do it. But I don't believe that to be true. I believe that if you've been doing it for a lot of years, then maybe walk with somebody else and teach them but walk with them right and then maybe at some point you know you'd be like oh I've walked with you good enough now you walk with somebody else and you can't do that if you're simply renewing you've got to tap into the endless supply you've got to see the church as a whole preach a few weeks with it we're multi-generational we're multi-ethnic we're, we're, we're not exactly something that people can look at and say, this is what it is. We look so different. We have so much diversity, and I love it. But trust what God is speaking to you, and trust that he has an endless supply to see it through. Amen? Father God, we love you today. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I've been, I'm still been preaching, Lord, these things from my philosophy of ministry, Lord Jesus. And the one part of my philosophy of ministry is that the Holy Spirit is the engine that pushes everything else. You can't have a multi-generational church if you don't have the Holy Spirit inspiring you, empowering you to do it. You can't have a multi-ethnic church if you don't, or you can't have any kind of church without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires us to pray. You speak specifically and tell us how to pray. You even come in, Lord, and through the language you give us, through the power of, through, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you speak the words that we don't even know what to say at times. Thank you, Jesus. That when you speak, you do not just speak and give us a plan. Tap us on the back and say, good luck with that. You walk with us. You walk before us. You even know how it's going to end. And we trust you. And we turn to you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. We ask that you would seal this word in our heart this morning. Challenge us this week to live it out. 